I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Psalm 123. Psalm 123. A very short psalm, about four verses. And it says, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O God. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the content of the proud. Boy, I tell you, the contempt of those that are scorners and proud and just incredible against the God's things. What a horrible, horrible place to be. And we are looking here at uh, two things that are getting him. First of all, we're looking at his eyes in verses 1 and uh, 2, and then verses 3 and 4, we see his enemies. So let's look at our eyes along with the psalmist, and let's look at our enemies as well. So let's take a look at the first thing I want you to see is, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, the lifting up of the eye. Now, my friend, there is no question that if you look in the wrong places, if you put your eyes in the wrong places, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You're going to be in a world of trouble. Now, I find it interesting that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which again, the, when Paul wrote it, he didn't put these. So this was just right after chapter 11. And he says, wherefore, based on above, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, it looks like up above in that chapter that the great crowd of witnesses that are watching us are these great people who are in the world of glory. That God has just spent some time saying things. So we got all of these cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth. Now, what we don't know is, are they witnessing, looking at us, or is this a great cloud of witnesses? Because when you look at the word witness, it means a martyr. It means to, to tell, to talk forth, to give the record. And many times they had a, a record that cost them their life. They were a witness that lost their life. And this word can also have the meaning of martyr. It's the actual word martos. And it carries the idea of one who has information or knowledge of something that can give information to confirm something. So we see a great cloud of witnesses. So whether they're the witnesses of the testimony or they're watching us as well, 
Uh, we know that they did give us a testimony. We know that they did give us a legacy of faith. We know that they did give us the truth. We know they did witness and testify of the very faith of the Word of God. And so he says, based on that, knowing that you have this, and of course we have it in the entire Word of God. We have more than what was written. Because if you go back and you look at that chapter, it doesn't list everybody. But he does say, and what shall I say more for the time would fail for me to tell you of Gideon, the Barak, and Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. And he goes through all that. Hey, listen, he didn't get them all in. They're not all there. But we do know that we have the whole thing. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to lay aside every weight. You need to take off the weight. Put it aside. Whatever it is that's weighing you down, lay it aside. Now, listen, this is not in the present tense because that would mean keep on laying it aside. Keep on laying it aside. Keep on laying it aside. Oops, I picked it back up. No, it's in the air. Lay it aside. Put it down. One time decision. Done deal. Never pick it up again. Whatever is weighing you down, lay it aside. Leave your heavy burden at the cross and go free, O sinner, go free. Lay it down and don't pick it back up because if you do, you're not obeying this verse because he didn't say you could keep laying it down when you pick it back up. He said, lay it down, point in time, done deal, that decision. And then he says, and the sin that so easily besets you. Now, hang on. What is a besetting sin? What are we talking about when we say that? The sin that so easily besets you. It is that which is easy. It surrounds itself and you grab hold of it. It's that which easily gets hold of you. The thing that for you is a real snare. You know, uh, some people say, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know why the Bible puts in there. I've never had a problem with that. Well, wait a minute. That may not be your problem, but you have one. There is something that is your besetting sin. There are sins that don't entice me at all. They're just not a part of who I am and my makeup. I don't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even consider it if I was lost. But there are things that have beset me before I got saved that were part of me when I got saved in the old nature that I have to make sure that I do not do that. This easy besetting sin. And I'm telling you, you need to be careful when you're running the race that you don't let sin get in the way. Don't let sin get in the way. Watch this carefully. He said, lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Now, the idea of patience there is that we are running this race with endurance, that we are running this race under, remaining under, bearing up, enduring the things that that race has. Listen, the, the Christian life isn't a 50-yard dash. It's not a hundred-yard dash. It is a marathon. And runners who train for marathons train a whole lot differently than those that do 50 and 100-yard dashes or 440 relays where there's more than one person running. We must 
understand that there we have to run with patience. We have to bear up under and endure the things that happen because we have a race that started and when we got saved and runs till we get to the place where we hopefully can say like the Apostle Paul, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. But look now what he says. Looking unto Jesus. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Okay? Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. Never look back. That is, you'll lose time looking back to see where people are. Never worry about who's around you. I've been told I, I did some some running in junior high. and You know, they, you don't put your eyes on anybody. They'll discourage you. You keep your eyes ahead. You keep your eyes towards the prize. You keep your eyes towards the finish line. Watch what he said here. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, and finisher. And he's not the beginner. He is the one who authored the whole your whole story. He wrote it down a long time ago. Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you and had a plan for you. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He got underneath the cross and he stayed there. Despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the front of God because he won. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. Keep on keeping on. Lift up your eyes. Look unto Jesus. We see that he was lifting up the eyes and he was looking with the eyes back in Psalm 122. He said, Unto thee will I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens, you who are up there inhabiting the wonderful place of joys of heaven. I am lifting up to you so I can get a good look. He said in verse 2, Behold, as the eyes of servants look into the hand of their masters, that's an example, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Think about this. He said, the psalmist shows his intent need and intent desire to look at Jesus, to look to the Lord. And that's all capitals. That's the Jesus of the Old Testament. The psalmist wants us to see when he says, Behold, as the eyes of the servants look unto the hand of their masters, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. Amen. The intensity. When he says the hand of the masters, hey, he's looking at it from the, the, this, that Jesus is our master. And boy, he's looking into the hand of his master. I'm glad I'm in good hands with Jesus. I'm in the best hands with Jesus. And I'm in the only hands that are needed with Jesus. Put your hand where his is and stick with him. Look unto the hand of their masters. Man, this is where you got something hanging on. There's a song in the church hymnal that I love to sing, uh, but I changed the words in it. It says, I'm clinging to him. And I changed the words to, he's clinging to me. I'm glad he has my hand and he's holding me. In fact, the Bible makes it clear in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 10, which is 
really an incredibly awesome chapter that deals with our good shepherd and it talks about people trying to get into heaven in the wrong way and all of those things and they call him the same as a thief and a robber but he gets down into this verse he talks about the abundant life but all of a sudden he comes down and he says this the Jews came round about him and said to him how long dost thou make us doubt if thou be the Christ tell us plainly but it's kind of a smart aleck attitude. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now hang on, listen to this. Neither shall any man pluck them out of of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand I and my father are one I've got my sheep God's got his sheep and we're one together so the two of us as one are hanging on to the sheep now you would think that would excite you and thrill you if you heard that in person where he was speaking. And it sure thrills me and I'm sure it thrilled you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior that you are in good hands and no one's going to shake you out of that hand. No one's going to pluck you out of that hand. No one's going to knock God. They're not even going to find God's hand. They can't even get to his hand to knock it out of you. And they can't do it. But they took up stones to stone him again. This is again, they took up stones again to stone him. That's all they can think about. They're stoning him. He said, man, you're in good hands if you knew what hands to be in. But they didn't care. They didn't get saved. But that group that did, hey, my sheep. You're not of my sheep, Jesus said. But my sheep, oh, well, yeah, I got them. Everything's good. No problems. I'm glad that we see the hand. And he looks to his master. Just like the, the, the normal people look at their masters, the servants. I'm looking at my master. Amen. My eyes are looking at that hand. I'm in good shape. So if you want to encourage yourself, look at the hand of God. The hand of God. Then I also want you to notice he said here that uh, the servant and the, the, the one about the maiden, the, the, the eyes of the maiden unto the hand of her mistress. She's looking what her next duties are and things and to, to see what's going on so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God our eyes wait upon the Lord our God they look to the Lord and they stay fixed hanging in there until that he have mercy upon us think about that he looks up and he says I got my eyes fixed they're fixed on Jesus. And I'm not taking them off. Paul said that he pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. He said, I'm looking ahead where my God is. I'm looking at him where the prize is. And I'm not looking at the people jeering me. Jesus at the cross looked to his father, did not look to all those people that were smacking him around and, and knocking him around and Bring it to the place where they said, prophesy, who hits you? Blindfolding him and smacking him, who hits you? He could have told him, but his eyes were on the plan of God. His heart was in the plan of God. And the Bible says, we already read in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him, 
endure the cross, despising the shame, and set down the right hand of God the Father. He said, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep looking, and I'm going to keep my eyes on God until he shows up in mercy. I'm grateful for mercy. Thank God for a merciful Heavenly Father. Now watch this. He goes from the eyes to the enemies. And so he says, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Lord, have mercy upon us because we are just completely satiated, filled over full with contempt. People are just going after us, and we don't seem to have anything to fix it in sight. The idea is to, to deal with someone contemptuously in a disrespect and scornful manner. It has the idea of springing from a personal inward pride and wickedness that brings people to that point. And it's a shame because contempt is something that can really cause people to be hurt. And we, we got to be careful not to be hurt. He said, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Now watch. He's got his eyes fixed until that mercy comes. And then he says, have mercy upon us. And I just kind of wonder, does anybody uh, know what that is? <laughs> yeah, command. It's imperative. He's saying, yeah, I've got to have it, Lord. I've got to have it. Have mercy upon us. And then he does it again. Have mercy upon us. Again, that same construct. Because he said, we have been exceedingly filled with contempt. It's in the perfect tense. It means it's just filled complete. Complete contempt. And our soul, listen, this is why I'm saying it hurts. It's, it's deep in the soul, the part of man that ponders and thinks and churns and uh, as things get to them and, and deals with them in a very unusual way. I am telling you, that this soul agonizing can really hurt or it can really be beneficial if you've got it on the positive side with the things of the Lord. And he said, what's happened is my soul is exceedingly filled. Ooh, that is overabundant. The idea of exceeding supersedes way up there. It indicates abundance, numerous, mm. And he said, it is uh, exceedingly filled, satiated, absolutely full. And he said, it's full with those who are scorning. A scorner is someone that is derisive. They mock and they stammer and they slander. And they do these things that are horribly negative and they come against right they come against the right and I'm telling you there's a whole lot in the book of Proverbs about scorners that we're not going to get into but scorning and scorners there are a lot of them out there and nobody likes to be around a scorner in fact when I taught in the Christian school and I taught high school I taught upper grades in high school and uh, I can remember an 11th grade class and uh, there was uh, two boys in it. 
that were scorners. And they would incite somebody or somebodies in the class who would always get caught by other teachers. But they wouldn't get caught because scorners agitate and get others to do their dirty work. And they're good at making other people jump in when they don't even realize what they're doing. But I had learned about the scorners. And so I would watch. And I knew that when they were there, I had an incredible hard time preaching the word. That there was actually a demonic spirit against it. And it would go away when both of them were absent. It would reduce when there was just one of them. Scorners can really create havoc amongst a lot of other people. And this psalmist says, we need mercy, Lord. We need you to be gracious. We need you to come and help us. We need to have your touch because there are some that are scorning and they are filled with it. They are overflowing with it. And in fact, it says, this verse is kind of an interesting verse because it says, our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are eased. The scorners are at ease. The idea of that word at ease means to be at ease, complacent, and quiet. It means it doesn't bother them, and they're just settled down in it, and this is what they do, and they're going to keep on doing it. They're not going to change. They're not going to be anything different. They're going to keep on keeping on because they're at ease. They think it's good. Man, look what I'm doing. I'm creating problems. I'm creating strife. Isn't this wonderful? They have no respect for God. They have absolutely no desire to see God. And the horrible thing is, if they don't come and find God, they are going to die in that scorn and find out the sin of that rejecting God who they mocked was a wrong thing for them to do. In the book of Psalms, if you remember, the very first chapter and the very first uh, verse says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He warns that a man that gets ungodly counsel will find himself walking in that counsel with him. Then the next thing you know, he's standing still on the pathway of sinners, the way. And the next thing you know, he's seated with them, and there he's around the scorners that are scorning and causing all of this havoc. And boy, what a horrible thing that is. When Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm, meaning that it, it deals with Christ, and it starts out in verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, of course, David wrote it. David was talking about him, but it was also messianic in its future. But it says in verse 7, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake that saying, and they just go around and just say all these horrible things about the Lord. And that is a horrible place to be. And then when you come down into Proverbs, it is uh, 18 times the word scorn, scorner, scornest is in the book of Proverbs. And it talks about how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Mm, see, scorners are incredible people. Listen to this verse. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. How about this one? This was a good one. Proverbs 22.10, cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Strife and reproach shall cease. Just like I said, when those two boys were absent, there was no more contention and strife and reproach. It ceased and everything was so much better. But here's a bad one. 
Proverbs 29.8, scornful men bring a city into a snare. But here's the good part. But a wise men turn away wrath. Wise men turn away wrath. Scorning is in your Bible so many times. In fact, by my count, I believe it's some 43 times in 43 different sections of the Scripture. And you get down into verse uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 53, and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. They scorned Jesus when he was going to raise the dead, and they laughed him to scorn. But see, you get the idea what the psalmist is? You see why he's screaming for mercy? You see why he said it three times? He said, not only are they at ease in what they do in their scorning, but they have a contempt. They, dis- they, they contempt, they despise, they disrespect, they scorn with pride. They, they're prideful. And the idea of this particular word means in a boastful, uh, oppressive, violently treating way. It is an incredible, unbelievable contempt of, pr- of the proud, those who are oppressing, those who are going against. Can you imagine living in that? So he cries out for mercy. And my friend, I'm glad we can cry out for mercy, aren't you? Aren't you glad that we can do that? I can remember uh, so often the fact that we learned a lot in the Bible that God is merciful and gracious. He's absolutely merciful and gracious. That's why he made it clear. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen to the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. James 5:11. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swear unto them. Deuteronomy 4:31. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest up from the gates of death. Psalm 90 or Psalm 9:13. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man was swallowing me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Psalm 56:1. And there is a psalm that you could memorize the second part of the psalm very, very easily and know what the second part of the psalm is. You could do that with no problems because it goes like this. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. That's the last part of the verse. Verse 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord God of, God of gods for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 4, to him alone doth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. And you can go from verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 26, where it says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Father, thank you for the mercy of God, the awesome, great mercy of God. May we pray for it, bask in it when we get it, be grateful for it, and continue to lift up our eyes and look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying that you have an absolutely wonderful week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his
precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every word is true Oh, I believe every word that he said is true I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.